Hey, welcome to New Hope Underground. And we are back with Ruth. Chapter 2. Chapter 2. And uh, Pastor Tyler Sturkey's here. Hello. What's up, PT? Oh, you know, living the dream. <laughs> like always. Every day we live the dream here. <laughs> I've seen those, uh, you know, they have those like Facebook groups where it's like making fun of like Midwest living. But it's like people who like live in the Midwest. Yes. And they'll make fun of like phrases like that. They're like, they like do like translations of Midwest catchphrases. <laughs> and one of them is like, if you ask someone how they're doing and they say living the dream, it means my life is terrible, but I don't want to admit it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's always sarcastic. It's like said in yeah. a, in like an exasperated way. Like no one hey, really, doing? yeah, no one really living means the it. dream, <laughs> which means like, I'm not doing great. <laughs> But I don't want to. I don't want to talk about it. No one really means it at all. Yeah, it's like whose whose dream? Whose dream are you living? Yeah, who's, <laughs> Maybe it's more like a nightmare. <laughs> Not so true. There's. I wonder how many. There's so many Midwest isms. Oh, a ton that you don't even realize. Like I, I've been told by people like up north, friends of mine said, "Well, you talk like a, with a southern drawl." Yeah. Like, what? Then I moved down to Atlanta for a while, and they're like, you slow down, you talk way too fast. Yeah. Oh, no. When I lived up in the Chicago area, people would say, like, oh, you're from, like, you're from the South. I yeah. mean, non-specific, but from the South. And I'm like, how's that? And they're like, oh, which they said it was whenever I get, I would get tired, it would become more prominent. They could tell, like, late in the evening, I would have a, Interesting. Bit, a bit more of a drawl. So, yeah. Well, funny. I concluded from all that that I have no I accent. didn't know what they were talking about. <laughs> I thought, I, I thought they were, they was crazy. Well, I concluded that since I'm in the middle, I have no accent. That's right. It's everybody else. Yeah. That's the, pro that's the problem. <laughs> it's the Northerners and the Southerners. That's right. The Midwest people are just. They have the problems, not me. W w the Midwest people are just right. It's kind of like Goldilocks and the Three <laughs> Bears kind of thing. <laughs> Luke, lukewarm accent. Exactly. <laughs> hey, welcome to New Hope Underground. And we are uh, talking through Ruth. Yeah. And you just got done with Sunday morning service uh, for the first sermon really yeah. good good job hey thanks as we start off we started off ruth with now can you kind of before we even get read ruth two and get into ruth two can you kind of sum up quickly ruth one for us or kind of like maybe some of the highlights from what you really ruth and naomi are living the dream <laughs> <laughs> like literally literally yeah. i mean in the sense ruth that is i just from quoted. a ruth's from the midwest moab <laughs> moab is a uh, ancient near eastern for uh Central Illinois, or I don't know. Exactly. Anyway, exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, essentially, chapter one is, I mean, it's really teeing up a lot. I say the problem, lots of problems. I mean, it's about this family that lots of bad things happen to. Naomi loses her husband. She loses her kid. She's just left with her in-law daughters. One leaves her and goes back to the homeland. The other one clings to her, um, is trying to show some sort of faithfulness and, and constant, you know, constancy. Con consistency. consistency in the mid in the midst of just lots of change and loss and uh just talking i mean there's just talk about faithfulness uh and faithfulness shown in the midst of just people yeah. being abandoned intentionally or unintentionally and of just what it looks like to hold on to hope even when it seems like there is no hope and i mean the main place i went with it was just talking about how god can redeem our pain um, and we can trust that even when we're in the midst of the pain to know that he is, is bringing redemption 
may not always look like the way we think. Uh, it's not a switch that just gets flipped and our problems in, but he, he is actively working for redemption in our lives always. And obviously, you know, redemption being a theme. Yeah, it's a huge theme throughout the whole book, as we'll see as we... But the word redeemer, redeemer is not used until later on in chapter two. Yeah. First time. Yep. And we're going to hit that uh, this week. So before we read chapter two, I kind of want to give just a brief outline because I found this kind of fascinating. You know, we've talked about this before, but uh, kind of chiasms in the Old Testament. Mm. In which is a literature type of style in ancient writing, where basically poetic structure. Yeah, and sometimes sometimes it can be just within a very couple of verses. Sometimes it could be within a whole chapter. Sometimes in a whole book. Sometimes both. All. Yeah. Uh, and, and in other words, you kind of start off. Um, I guess you kind of start off and end uh, with storytelling, but in the middle is where the climax is, and then the middle is where the meaning is of this story. And you kind of find that in chapter two, and I think even in chapter three and so forth. But in chapter two, uh, just to put it simply, before we read this, you're going to find uh, basically Ruth and Naomi talking. Then you're going to find Boaz talking with the reapers in his field. Then you're going to find Boaz and Ruth talking. Mm. Then you're going to find Boaz talking with the reapers again. Mm. Then you're going to find Naomi and Ruth again. This is just chapter two. Just chapter two. Interesting. And so what would that suggest? It would suggest that the meat of this chapter is in the middle mm. where Boaz meets Ruth. Yeah. And so that's where we're going to get the majority of our the meets in the Midwest meets <laughs> meets in the Midwest. So uh, I'll go ahead and read if that's okay. Chapter two. <clears throat> now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to a part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was in the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the, the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in any other in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that you are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and, he, and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge." Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. In a mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and, she, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. 
and and also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an epa. How would you say that? I don't know. Epa. <laughs> Epa of barley. It's about 30 pounds. 30 pounds. Worth of grain. Thank you. So I had sack, no, sack that weighs about 30 pounds, I guess. No idea. But uh, And then she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned. So she also brought out uh, and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with, with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. So Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his, with his young women, uh, lest in another field you will be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Yeah, there's not much there. Just lots of verses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 23, trying to cover. But interesting. So this is when, you know, Boaz is introduced. I, you know, I've been debating on how to approach this podcast because um, I'm still, Tyler and I totally prepare differently in the way that we look at sermons. Mm. <laughs> and as I prepare of this sermon, I'm still in the throes of it because I never like what I have, like ever. Yeah. <laughs> so I could study something for like six months and write a nice, neat little paper here or something on my sermon and still change it because I just don't don't feel like, okay, that's where... And so I'm still, so here's the thing where I thought we approached the podcast is I've just got some random notes and just some things, but I really don't have my mind around still. Yeah. But uh, I think they're interesting. Sure. And so I thought, well, what a, what a good time to air those kinds of things. Yeah. It's something like this because, and we may or may not, you may or may not hear much of it in the sermon. Which in the way, I mean, the way that we talked last week for Ruth one, and I mean, we even did this for the Ephesians series too, is, I mean, some of this is just noticings for me yeah. anyway. It's yeah. just even interesting things like in my message, I try to maybe grab a primary theme and tease out some, you know, points around that. Um, but even as I approach, especially a text that I'm not handling, like you're handling this one, chapter two, I just noticed, I just literally underlined and wrote down just things I noticed. And so... But I found that to be some of the best conversation, even after the fact, like whenever we did the podcast for chapter one and then preaching the sermon, I'm like, dang, <laughs> there's several <laughs> things I noticed that I didn't notice before. I mean, there's just right. always more. It's these, always something, yeah. you know, layers of the onion type of thing that uh, just noticings. And so I think that's good enough. Yeah. And I think there's a couple of things that I've noticed that I'm pretty darn sure are going to be in the sermon. So I probably won't talk about that too much today. Yeah. But but as far as like, won't you start us off with something you've noticed? I mean, it's something I noticed that I mean, it seems like such a silly small thing, but of of how significant it is in is verse three. So it said, you know, so she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. And then this phrase, as it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. That phrase, as it turned out, <laughs> yeah, that 
I mean, it really is in many ways uh, a phrase and just a very, I don't even know how to describe it, a very simple way capturing or noticing divine providence, mm-hmm. like the work of God in our lives. And I feel like the longer I follow Jesus and the more I walk, you know, as a pilgrim on the journey, how much of the spiritual life is just paying attention to things like that, of like noticing God at work in my life where God doesn't always have to have the most pronounced in your face type of workings. And so it's just pointing that out as it turned out, like what, what is it is God. (laughs) Like God had purposes and he's at work in this situation. That's an example of, man, God is, God is himself, the creator of the universe. So humble um, that he can work behind the scenes and doesn't always have to be the loudest voice in the room or the most prominent character in the story, even though he is always, he is always the most important character that it's literally as it turned out. And that, and that was just almost like a little wink, wink at God, like God's at work. God's at work in this situation. He's even from chapter one, he's not done redeeming Naomi's situation. He's not done redeeming Ruth's situation. And so, ah, what do you know? Just as, and I always make this joke to you about when things like that, when it always turns out, I had a professor in college who would always say, it's just a coincidence. Don't let it build your faith or anything. Right. <laughs> That's one of those yeah. situations. Like, as it turned out, it was uh, a, a distant relative of theirs. Don't let it build your faith or anything. <laughs> but anyway, that phrase just stuck out to me. As it yeah. turned out, it's just a little wink at divine providence of just God working in his sovereignty. Well, it's interesting because it kind of makes this whole book, in a way, a little bit rare because of that. Yeah. I mean, because most, a lot of the Old Testament, I mean, it's thus saith the Lord, and, yeah. and God spoke to Abraham, and God spoke to, and we don't have any of that. Yeah. And it's almost like what our lives are like every day. And not only that, but <clears throat> God's working behind the scenes to bless a certain family in this particular case that's going to bless generations. Mm. They don't even, they may not even understand or see all of it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's same with us. It made me think of, because I got an email from someone earlier this week and just and man i love these questions because it was someone who's just hungry and just wants to know of saying because i had said a few phrases on a sunday morning like opening ourselves up to god that a big part of the spiritual life is just opening ourselves up to god and, and i'm talking about surrender whenever i say that surrender in various ways and them just emailing me saying what does that look like they're like i don't know how to do that i don't know what that looks like and how do I hear God's voice? And how do I know it's God's voice and not my voice? Which, I mean, that's a tall order for an email, which I gave some basic answers, but then invited a conversation of saying, man, I'd love to sit down and just talk about Because I'm like, that is the spiritual life of, of learning how to pay attention in our lives. Of like, God is always at work all the time in our lives. Most of the time, we're just not aware of it. And so, so much of the spiritual journey is awakening to those things, awakening to God's work in my life that has always been there. I've just not been paying attention. And so that, as it turned out, is an example of that of, man, it's, and I did the first time through writing my message, or I mean, I'm not writing message for this, but like texts like that, you can just pass over and not notice, but it's like sometimes combing over our day, holding hands open to God he'll bring noticings to us of like, hey, you remember this thing that happened? I'm like, oh yeah, that was me. Like that was me at work in your life. Oh, I didn't realize. 
And it's like, if I don't slow down to like notice those things, I, you know, I would then, man, some of those things go unglorified to God. They belong to him. He's at work. And for me to not notice, like that's glory that can go to him to be thank, you know, thankfulness or whatever. You know, this is, um, it's interesting. We're talking about this because this has been on my mind quite a bit lately, Mm. not just because of Ruth. It's just a coincidence. Don't let it build your faith or anything. (laughs) (laughs) Not just because of Ruth, but actually, I don't know if you know this or not, but I have a blog where I just kind of dump stuff in. Uh, I actually wrote this yesterday because I this has been kind of kind of culminating and it seems appropriate to read this because it's real mm. short but uh, the things I've been struggling with when it comes mm. to this of, of acknowledging or being aware of God or knowing God yeah. is even there and so here's what I wrote and I <clears throat> and again I'm not I I just feel like it's apropos to what we're talking about sure it's also just some, something kind of deeply personal but at the same time I think it is you know head on to what we're this subject. And I wrote this, do you ever feel like God is distant? Hmm. I, mean, I was unsure if distant was the right word for this entry, but the trustworthy thesaurus saved the day. Uh, when searching for distant, words and phrases like out of touch, unapproachable, not home, out of earshot, and in the background, hmm. solidified that this was the word I was searching for. So let me go ahead and get this out of the way. God is present. God intervenes every day. God is a God you can touch. I mean, the distance is how it feel, how it sometimes feels, due to our wayward hearts, not in reality. So Jesus was God in the flesh, touching us. God talked with us, walked with us, hugged us, ate with us, mm. healed us, and even bled for us. And I believe this wholeheartedly, and have dedicated my life to following Him. So why do I struggle with the need to feel like He is close? I mean, following is a short explanation that does not come lightly or without much thought, so please do not judge it on its brevity. But here you go. Death and the unknown are intimidating realities. No, strike that. Death and unexperienced reality to come are intimidating. Because mm. I know it's known. <laughs> Something in me wants so desperately to hear right here and now his voice, and his words, telling me that everything will be okay. This is why I want to feel him. So what comes next? Well, the only thing I can figure out is that I must give up my desire to feel and want to hear everything will be okay. For even these are idols. Despite these desires, eternity comes for us, and we have nothing but trust to bring. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Mm. And I, I've really been struggling with that because yeah. I haven't had the experiences I think I should have or feel God in that way. I feel like he's even working or if he's in really inter- intervening. Yeah. And like you said, we don't let up build your faith or anything. But the truth is, is that most of us are not aware. Mm. You know, I, I don't see coincidences like, you know, in the sense of this is God appointed. Yeah. Like I should. Yeah. And I struggle with that. And I think I'm normal. You know, I think a lot of people... Are like that, and that's kind of what I was saying. Was it, but at the same time, the desire for those things, I think Jesus is saying, "Follow me anyway." Mm. You may you may not ever feel those things, yeah. But am I worth following anyway? Yeah, that's so good. You know, and I think Ruth and Naomi, like when you read it in this passage, you know, they as, as Naomi, 
it's just so interesting to me. These are things I can't get my mind around still. I'm, I'm processing it. But isn't it interesting that the narrator says she changed her name, but he never calls her by that? Yeah. He's like, I don't care how you define, even define yourself. Yeah. You're still Naomi, which what, what did Naomi A mean? A pleasant one. <laughs> which I kept thinking, I was hoping you were going to say that Sunday because... It was so in stark contrast to... I wanted to yeah. say that, but I forgot. <clears throat> like, forgot for, for whenever we recorded, I forgot what Naomi no, meant. Okay. So that's I'm going to okay. be like, so it means... Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it means I'm not bride and yeah. can't remember things. <laughs> no, I get it. I, totally I mean, I wanted to let you say it in the podcast. Yeah, that's it. That's, that's it. the reason. That's the reason. <laughs> no, I just... I, I honestly... In the, <laughs> like, you have those moments where like thoughts flit through your mind. Oh, yeah. I'm up on stage, and that thought, I'm like, whenever I'm talking about it, meaning Mar... Like, Mar meaning bitterness, I was going to contrast it, and I'm like, oh, nope, don't remember what Naomi means, so I'm just going <laughs> to... I'll let Darren cover that. <laughs> it contrasts with Naomi. Yeah. <laughs> Naomi. It means something that... I won't tell you here. That's your homework to you should, go look it up. You should have said it contrasts with Naomi. And of course, I don't need to tell you what that means. Yeah. You, you guys know. <laughs> <laughs> but I do find interest. The narrator never lets off that point. Yeah, that's a- interesting. Another thing I have a hard time with. And I, I, I just in chapter four, hmm. when they when they brings about the fact that Ruth is going to have a, has a baby. It doesn't say yeah. it's Ruth's child. It says it's Naomi's child. Yeah. And that's really interesting because. It's almost setting Ruth up to be a mediator. Mm. There's a lot of Jesus stuff in here. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And, and and then Boaz is a mediator as well. I mean, so the whole thing is just, I don't know, I'm trying to get my mind around some of that. And it's interesting because the very first reason Boaz gives, remember in the middle of this, the climax, if you will, yeah. where Boaz and Ruth are talking. Yeah. The very first reason Boaz gives for his kindness to Ruth is her is because of her actions towards Naomi, and that's what and it's like I, I foreshadowed that. I mean, the the text foreshadowed it. I pointed out the foreshadowing the first week, uh, like in the message of saying the gossip at the end. It seemed like this random thing. All the yeah. women were like, "Is this Naomi?" Like right when they re- re- you know arrive back in Bethlehem, it's because you see later that actually plays a significant part in being a some catalyzing moments. Because Naomi's story starts to get around the village so that when Ruth shows up and Boaz is like, who is this young woman wandering in the field after our workers? I mean, it was just very strange because typically someone who would be married would not be that. They would be at home or they'd be with children or whatever. So it was strange to see this. Maybe a, I mean, if I wonder if Naomi was out there gleaning a more elderly or middle-aged or however they would have been viewed then woman. I wonder if he wouldn't have even thought, because he's like, oh, it's a widow. She's gleaning. Not a big thing. But it's like, this may have been a teenage girl. And it's like, why is she out here by by herself? That's a dangerous thing. Especially in the time of the judges. He wouldn't expect her to be a widow. Yeah. When everybody did what was right in their own eye. Like, this is a marriageable, of marriageable age girl why is she out here by herself? And then finding out, oh, this is well, he heard, and he's heard it. He's heard about her. Yeah, he's like, so mm. you're the one. I've heard, I've heard the hot goss. Yeah. <laughs> like the words gone around about Naomi and everything that happened. Well, to you her. can't help but see this as a little bit of a theme because the narrator says five times calls her Ruth a Moabite. Yeah, and not only that, but other times, I don't know how many times, and the word Moab is actually used in the text, and she uses the word foreigner. And the and the, even the contrast, and this is something I know, it's the fact that she's named the you know named in Moabite. So again, her uh, foreignerness, 
yeah. is prominent in that. Right. And to say, like, I've heard about the kindness has said, like that word shows up again, the the covenant faithfulness that you've shown to Naomi. And it's like, man, this strange thing in a time when no one was faithful to God, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. We have a foreigner, a non-Israelite showing covenant faithfulness better than Israelites. Yeah. Like yeah. it's just this strong contrast of like, you're kind of putting us to shame in terms of covenant faithfulness than what we should be showing to God or the nation should be showing to God. So it's like a, a bit of a dig and a commentary on the time uh, in some ways. See, I, I can't help but feel, and I'm not, I'm, I'm just saying this on the podcast just for fun, but yeah. I can't help but feel, and, I, and I'm probably, like I said, stretching this too much, but Boaz seems like the Christ figure to me. Naomi seems like Israel to me. Mm. And the Hesed is not just upon her, but upon Ruth, who is a foreigner. Yeah. That Israel is supposed to be the light to the Gentiles, light to the world. Yeah. And, and she's the one, Naomi's the one who is really distraught and thinks God has forgotten her and changes her name and she's bitter. And I think her comment about saying, well, uh, God, Yahweh is the God to the living and the dead. Mm. I think she counted herself among the dead. Yeah. I don't think she was actually saying, that's just me, but I mean, I don't have anything to really go with on that. It's a, it's in some ways a, it's her attitude. It's a parable (laughs) or an allegory of the gospel. Yeah, exactly. Of Israel being, I mean, it being to Israel, a redemption of Israel. And yet the nations are wrapped up into that too. Well, I mean, it's even interesting to see, I mean, even that this idea of blessing, which I know that word gets used a lot, and yeah. it's just hammered yeah. until it means nothing most right. of the time the way we use it. But to see this blessing come on her, on Ruth, she's gleaning in the field, which it was, according to the law, allowed for her to do that. Foreigners could go and glean in the field. Hey, don't harvest all the way to the edges, but leave it for the poor, the widow, the foreigner. But then for him to be like, uh, no, some of the bundled sheaves, drop those off. Yeah. Like, you see Boaz going beyond what was required of him in the law. And that's a, that's a picture of covenant faithfulness too. And that's really what blessing is, is blessing is the giving of something beyond what is deserved. Grace. Yeah. No, that's what, that's the definition of grace where it's like, no, they deserve the gleanings. Like that's required by law for them to do. But he's like, no, I'm going to go beyond that because she's shown grace to her mother-in-law, I know the story. I'm going to leave even more for her than I need to. And it's like, that's that picture of blessing that God in the covenant, it's like he could give us what we deserve, but he chooses to bless us by giving us beyond far head yeah. and shoulders beyond what we deserve in yeah. Christ. Yeah. I, I, and you're exactly right. I kind of miss said that too with Boaz. I, I think he's more like Yahweh than Christ figure. I didn't mean Christ figure mm. because, because he has a son. Oh Yeah. You know, so the son would be the promise of the next generations, you know. So Obed would be more the Christ figure. <laughs> yeah. If I, if I make, if it, it, I don't know, I'm confusing myself. Well, no, it's funny because. But it's, it's just really interesting to me. Like even in a parallel with this, because, I mean, obviously the Jews missed this in many ways. I mean, they talked about it some of Israel being a light to the nations, but it was more you come to us and become like us. Yes. To receive that blessing. But a parallel story in the Gospels, like I think of the Syrophoenician woman. Yeah. Where she even yeah. says, oh, no, no, I'm content to even take the crumb, like a dog. You know, she's playing whatever along. Whatever falls with, off the table. Yeah, whatever falls off the table. The gleanings, 
Yeah. In some ways I'm content with that because I know that's what I deserve at best. And then for Jesus to say, no, beyond that full healing. Yeah. Like you are being received in as one of, one of the family. Um, that's even more of us. Yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, it's very uh, parallel to some of this, but even more overt, and which would have been challenging to the Jews of the day to hear that as well. Like, wait, someone who's not an Israelite can receive healing and be received in and be accepted by Messiah. Like that's crazy. Yeah. It's a, it, we, the, the word redeemer in chapter two here doesn't come with like, what's it? Verse 20. I think it is. Yeah. Where Naomi says, "Yeah, he is." Uh, yeah, it's verse. Yeah, verse twenty. This man is our close relative. He is one of our different translations. Some just say redeemer, guardian, redeemer, kinsman, redeemer. But right. it's it's some of that. But I, that was an actual legal term. Yeah, at the go. And I'm going to say this wrong. The go is is goel or goal, G O E L. Yeah, um, like a note that I have down here in my Bible. The guardian redeemer, traditionally called kinsman redeemer, was a near relative who was responsible, there's responsibility for protecting the interest of needy members of the extended family. For example, his role might be to provide an heir for a brother who has died, to redeem land that a poor relative has sold outside the family, to redeem a relative who's been sold into slavery, or to avenge the killing of a relative. You, I, you I was had, just getting ready to read, yeah, I just ready to read those things. That's right, you had talked about that. I just getting ready to go there because uh, it. I think that when we think of redeemer, you know, we have a more of an abstract idea. Uh, and we, we talk about as it being, being bought, you know, God bought us through Jesus and this kind of thing, like a coupon that's re, a coupon that's redeemed and that kind of thing. But this has a, this is a legal term, you mm-hmm. know, that's coming from the law and it has specific meanings. Like you said, uh, that this guy was by law, you know, trying to take care of it. It's, it's a way of protecting your family. It's also a way of protecting your land and farms and way of living so that the rich just don't buy up all the land, you know, and, and make everybody a slave. Yeah. It's to protect freedom. It's to protect, I mean, this, there was a reason for this guy uh, to exist. Which is one thing way at the bottom of this note where it was talking about avenger yeah. and guardian redeemer are translations of the same Hebrew word. Yeah. So like, which I mean, yeah. in English, those seem like two totally different ideas: redeemer and avenger. I mean, like Captain America. No, yeah, <laughs> not that type of avenger. But I mean, that <laughs> idea of like we think avenger like almost a, like a righting of a wrong and you know paying back on someone for what they've done. It's a, there's almost a an aggression or a mean mean spirit to an idea of avenging as opposed to redeeming seems to be more gentle and compassionate, but for them to be like the same thing of like, no, like redemption really is about righting a wrong. Yeah. That the, the land being sold or someone going into slavery or an heir, you know, well, the, ne- the negative connotation is very American because of our movies. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not really avenging. The, in fact, don't you find yourself always pulling for the vigilante? Yeah. And Why? Because down deep, they're actually fighting for something that's that they think is absolutely yeah you know an injustice that avenging and revenging are two different things are not yeah. the same thing right like by any stretch of the imagination and so like that's in, why Batman is conflicted <laughs> oh look at you 
hey, that's my shtick, all right? You don't get to do the superhero <laughs> don't, thing. Don't worry. I, I don't know enough to go with that. I, I let your uh, expertise. But no, I mean, but that's a powerful idea. And that even sets chapter one in perspective of realizing, like, her family dying, them having to leave the land. Yeah. Those were wrong things. Yeah. That had to be avenged. Yeah. Not in this modern sense in the way we think of it, like revenge. They have to get revenge. But they were wrongs that had to be righted. Like you losing a family member, that's that's wrong. Like it's a bad thing. And we don't get to avenge that. God does. And that's kind of that picture. Well, of see, the, that's the thing is you find in this book human agency. But yeah. at the same time, God's a, it's just it, is God really is the hero of the story. Why? Because these weren't things that Boaz could actually avenge. Mm. Not entirely. Yeah. I mean, he could take care of him physically on his own human agency. But as far as like the timing, the coincidence of everything, God setting everything up, the, the bringing of a child. You know, I found this, uh, this quote kind of interesting. I don't think I'm going to use it in the um, sermon, but I found this interesting. It's written by uh, a Jewish author modern-day Jewish author, who said, no book, and this is another interesting thing about Ruth, is Ruth is read traditionally at Pentecost mm. with, with the Jew, the, in Judaism. Oh, yeah, because it was the harvest. Yeah, because the harvest was. also, there's a legend that David was born and died on Shavuot, which is Pentecost. Yeah, interesting. I mean, the same time of year. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, but they, they read it because of her acceptance into Jewish faith was an analogy of the acceptance of the Jewish people of God's Torah. Mm. That's kind of the idea. But I, anyway, I, one thing that was read, um, I read that from this writer, and then she made this comment. No book better models what it means to love the stranger and what it means to demonstrate said blessing, mm. a kindness, in a way that not only repairs a ruptured family, but also creates a community into which one wants to bring a child. Mm. I found that kind of interesting. Yeah, that's super good. Like, that God's about life. Yeah. You know, God's about restoring, even with all the tragedy, uh, restoring life. It always has been. Hey, good stuff. Yeah, I don't know if that, really I don't know if we really concluded much, but. <laughs> well, no, I, the story's not over. <clears throat> yeah, the story's not over. And so it's a, it's a continuing, it's the introduction of a, another element of God redeeming the situation and i think it's interesting and this is just the essence of the gospel of god bring god be taking on flesh and meeting us in the mess like coming here was that there's these like levels of redemption using human agency like yes boaz is technically called a redeemer an avenger um he's the original avenger yeah <laughs> say captain america's the original no he's the first avenger uh but this idea that even though he is named officially a kinsman redeemer, God is the one actually redeeming in this in the in the background. Yeah, and he's using human agency to uh, accomplish his purposes, and that's that's the story of the Bible. That's the story of the gospel. Well, I, I was going to say this, but I'm going to go ahead and say it because it's going to be part of my sermon. I think <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Uh, yeah, we'll see. You may but, hate uh, it, but I really think what it means to me today too is when you read this, it's like. Boaz um, was was not. It was really interesting because in chapter two, he doesn't know the rest of the story. Mm. 
So the very thing he said, Yahweh is going to repay you for your good deeds without realizing he's the one. He's going to be the the medium, the avenue through which that happens. Right. So he's speaking blessing on people, but then later he becomes a blessing. Yeah. And I wonder how many of us, you know, live like that. Mm. Live like, well, I'll speak, we speak blessing on lots of people, pray for them. Well, James talked in the book of James about be warm and well, or no, maybe that's John, be warm and well fed yeah, and, and then do nothing to, yes, John's epistle. Uh, be warm and well-fed and then do nothing to meet their needs. It's like, you're the, <laughs> yeah. you're supposed to be the avenue through which that happens. Yeah, it reminds me of that Keith Green song from a while, a long time ago. I think it was Asleep in a Light. He brings people to your door and you just smile and say, hey, be at peace. God bless you. Yeah. But all of heaven just weeps because Jesus came to your door and you left him out on the street. Ooh, ooh. I hated that guy. Matthew 25, yeah. His his songs were a little, <laughs> little tough to hear. Yeah. Very, the non-profit prophet. Very convicting. <laughs> no, good stuff. Hey, well, so we'll, we'll return with uh, Boaz, Boaz and Ruth and Naomi and the, the whole story, the pleasant one. Yeah. <laughs> and um, in, in chapter three and then chapter four, so two more weeks after this. All right. Sounds Thanks good. for listening. Yep. Oh, 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 oh,